0: Today's reading is from Matthew, chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, till it was all leavened. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. Welcome to church this morning. Uh, Whenever I'm sitting down there singing and my notes are up here, I always have this image. I'm going to walk up here and my notes aren't going to be there. And you're going to get a Pentecostal sermon. Uh, So, welcome to church this morning. Thanks for joining us. It's a beautiful day. Spring is upon us, and we are in our fourth week of uh, our series entitled Your Kingdom Come, in which we are moving through Matthew chapter 13, which is called the Parable Discourse, in which Matthew records uh, parables that Jesus likely frequently taught so this week, we get uh, two-for-one parables. We get the parable of the mustard seed, and we get the parable of the leaven. Both of these parables having to do with growth. And these are two of my favorite parables. We, uh, I think that if we properly understand these parables and we really build these ideas into the culture of our church... I think that the impact we can have is incredible. These parables, uh, unlike the others that we have looked at in this series, they do not have a correlating explanation. The other two parables that we've looked at, uh, we see the parable, and then later, Jesus with his disciples explains precisely what the parable means. These two, however, don't have such an explanation. And I think the reason is because, that's my son, He's very sad about my preaching. We, um, oh man, pastors, kids, that's hard. So we are, uh, he agrees. So we, the reason that these two parables don't have an explanation, I think, is because they are so simple. It's a, a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed, and it's planted and it grows and becomes the largest tree in the garden, or a little pinch of leaven, which is put into dough until the whole lump of dough is leavened. These incredibly simple ideas that the kingdom of heaven is somehow like. It is somehow like these two, uh, these, these two ordinary events. I think that sometimes in the simplicity of these parables, we can miss The gravity of what they're saying. This very simple thing can oftentimes be the hardest to spot or something that we think we know, and yet when we look at our lives, we don't live as though this is actually true. And so today, we're going to look at these parables, and we're going to imagine together what would our church look like if we simply trusted what these parables said, What what would our church look like if we imagined that these parables, this description of the kingdom, what if that were just true? That's what we're going to look at today and imagine. It's a big truth, it can be right in front of our faces, and because it's so close, we can often miss it. Throughout uh, the uh, last century, the 20th century, uh, there's been 20 so far. That's my history lesson is over. So throughout the last century, there's been two main ways of interpreting this parable. One was really dominant over the past century. And the two ways are viewing these parables exclusively in terms of the contrast between the small seed and the large plant or the small pinch of leaven and the fully leavened dough, so we're calling that contrast, viewing them exclusively in terms of the contrast. And uh, the other interpretation, which I'm going to be arguing for this morning, is that these parables are actually teaching about growth. The contrast is important, but what's just as important as the contrast is what gets us there, What makes the seed become the tree? What makes this tiny pinch of leaven leaven the whole lump of dough? And as we explore first the contrast and then the growth, I hope that we will see that it is, in fact, the growth that produces the contrast. So that's the phrase to hold in mind, which may not mean much now, but uh, give me a half hour, (laughs) and it'll mean a bit more. So let's go ahead and move in. Uh, The contrast. So I'll go ahead and read the parable of the mustard seed one more time. They're short, bite-sized parables. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Somehow, the kingdom of heaven is like this story of the smallest seed that becomes the largest plant. How is that like the kingdom of heaven? Well, in order to start interpreting these, we need to acknowledge the connection between the seed and the plant. And as I had alluded to before, the dominant way of looking at this over the past century was simply in terms of contrast. Just that the one point of the parable is, see this small seed, see this large plant. The difference is what's shocking. So what does that mean for us? Well, let's, let's keep looking and dealing with this contrast idea. Uh, one of the uh, proponents of this idea is a man named George Eldon Ladd, and in his book, The Gospel of the Kingdom, he writes, the message of this parable is not the way in which the tiny seed becomes a tree. Many interpreters have placed great emphasis upon the element of growth and have used it to illustrate the gradual extension of the church in the world. This is not the point of the parable. So then, if the growth isn't the point of the parable, then what is the point of the parable? Growth seems like such an obvious component of these stories. The leaven becomes, the, the small pinch becomes this fully leavened lump. This small seed becomes this fully grown tree. Why is it that growth isn't a part of that story? If that's not the point, then what is? So Ladd continues. He says, one truth is set forth. The kingdom of God, which one day shall fill the earth, is here among men. But in a form which was never before expected, it is like an insignificant seed of mustard. This tiny thing is, however, God's kingdom and is therefore not to be despised. See, Lad there is making a point that is worth reckoning with. In order to understand the kingdom, we have to understand its incredibly small beginnings, It's beginnings in such a way where they don't even look like something that could possibly begin. In fact, it looks like an ending. It looks like a crucifixion, right? And it takes place in this small subculture of people in the Roman Empire and a sort of neglected part of the empire. And yet we see it become this incredible thing. And beyond that, our hopes for the kingdom of heaven are that God's rule is present will be present on earth in the same way that it is present in heaven so that there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more tears. The heights of what we're expecting for the kingdom go far beyond anything we could possibly imagine so that when Jesus says the kingdom is here now, we have to have some explanation of how can it be here now in the present, when we're hoping for the kingdom to be this incredible, amazing thing in the future, where there's no more sin, no more crying, no more pain, where God is perfectly present with us, where all the brokenness in the world is completely redeemed, how can we say that kingdom is here now? By emphasizing the contrast, Ladd shows us that this is a tension that we need to learn to hold together. Because in order for us to hope that the kingdom is present in the way that Jesus says it is, we have to be able to move through our daily lives where we're surrounded by pain and oppression and where we're encountering so many obstacles and enemies that we never would have expected and harm that we never would have expected to see in the world. How can we continue moving amongst those and hoping for a kingdom? The contrast is real and is that great. The contrast is where our hope comes from. That one day, the world as it is now, the kingdom that we're looking forward to will be utterly different. That's what our hope is grounded in. And yet, to say that the contrast is the only point of the parable is to downplay the obvious connection of how we get there. How do we get from this tiny seed to the largest plant in the garden? That's what Ladd neglects. See, he has two reasons that he neglects this seemingly obvious aspect of the parable, the connection between the seed and the plant, the growth that gets us there. One, the first reason is uh, his interpretive method. So he's coming from a school of thought which says parables can only have one point. Parables are stor- they're not allegories in which every detail has uh, like correlative a correlative thing in reality. I don't know, need a literature major. Uh, but they are... Uh, uh, rather stories that communicate one point. And so because Ladd is saying this can only have one point, then to add this point of growth, it, it, that's making the parable all of a sudden about too many things. He's saying it, it's pushing too many details. Now, I think that's flawed on a number of levels. First of all, the interpretations that we've seen Jesus provide of his parables point towards there being more than one point, more than one thing being symbolized in the symbols. So Jesus' own interpretive method seems to be different than that. And secondly, how is something ever just one point? Ideas don't work like that. They're always grounded in other ideas, grounded with other implications that we reason and understand because of those one points. Seeing a seed and a plant and saying, see, there's a great contrast between those things. And then moving to the point of that's because the seed grows into the plant over time doesn't seem to be pressing too far interpretively into the parable. So that's why it seems likely that there would need to be another reason to not acknowledge the growth in these parables. And here's what that other reason is of Lad's. Lad brings a preconception, a preconceived notion of how the kingdom will arrive. And because of that preconceived notion, he's unable to say that the kingdom will appear by a natural organic growth over time. Ladd imagines that the church will merely sustain, it will merely persist through a time likely getting smaller and smaller as time progresses, as persecution and the sinfulness of the world ramps up, and because of this downward trajectory of the church, his anticipation of the kingdom's final arrival at the second coming looks like Jesus coming and in a flash the kingdom arriving in its full glory. So because of his understanding of how the kingdom will come, that it won't come through the increase of the church, it won't come through the Holy Spirit empowering a body of people to bring these values into the world in a gradually progressive way, because he has ruled that out of his mind, he must say, he must find a way to say that the growth in these parables doesn't matter, it's just about the contrast. Because of what he's bringing to the text, he's forced to deny something that on a simple reading seems completely obvious. That the kingdom of heaven, though this small thing, you will see that it grows. And so, that's what we are looking at now. This neglect of the obvious has forced so much of the church in the 20th century to imagine that the kingdom of heaven will always be this tiny thing that loses influence and suffers greater and greater persecution be it real or imagined and therefore it doesn't need to expand into the world with any sort of influence this is why the the Christian church has almost completely retreated from any of the culture-making centers in our nation. It's thinking like this. You see, a lot of us think that culture changes by just getting enough people together. And if we get enough people and we change the hearts and minds of those individuals, then culture will change. But if you were to look at the United States, under that imagination of culture change. And you would perform a survey. You would find that most people claim to be Christian. And yet, if you look at our cultural institutions, if you look at media and the arts, if you look at academia, you would say that they are almost completely non-Christian, completely irreligious. And so perhaps that's not the way that culture changes. Perhaps it is important for Christianity to see we need to move into these cultural centers to try and have an influence there for the good of all people so that we actually are seeing this type of growth. But when we have a view of the church that is mere stagnation, When we have a view of the church that doesn't anticipate a growth of the kingdom, then we don't move in that way. Instead, we just huddle together, expecting no expanse, expecting no movement into other areas of the world. And so, this line of thinking, of just emphasizing the contrast, has in many ways stunted the growth of the church. I hope that we will see that a more simple, more obvious reading of these parables, if taken at just face value, if we believed what Jesus said, that it was like a seed that becomes a tree, that it's like a pinch of leaven that leavens the whole lump, if we anticipated this expansion of the kingdom, how would we then move? Let's return again uh, to the parable of the mustard seed as we see this growth that's built into that story. So we'll move into this point of growth now. You see, there's good reason to see that growth is built into this parable. First of all, it's just so organic to the story that it's, you have to do a lot of gymnastics to show that it isn't in the parable. But secondly, we see that within the early church, they operated as though they had this expectation of growth. See, one of my favorite verses, I'm, I'm quoting it like all the time recently, is Colossians 1, 5 through 6. Uh, Paul's writing to the, Colossian, the, the church in Colossae, and he says, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The gospel, as you hear it and understand the grace of God in truth, it starts bearing fruit and it starts increasing There's this influence that comes into your life, and all of a sudden, people around you start thinking in those terms as well, and you're bringing this energy and understanding of what God's restorative purposes are into your ordinary life. And so by a proper understanding of the gospel, it's bearing fruit, it's multiplying, it's growing that's an apostle who's writing with this expectation that the kingdom will be one that grows. And so, not only is it in line with the expectations of the apostles, it's also in line with the experience of the early church. They took these parables, these understandings of the kingdom, to mean growth. Uh, J.C. Ryle remarks regarding the parable of the mustard seed he says, No figure could be chosen more strikingly applicable to the growth and increase of Christ's visible church in the world. It began to grow from the day of Pentecost and grew with a rapidity which nothing can account for but the finger of God. Consider this small seed of the gospel. In first century Jerusalem, That all of a sudden, in one day, the day of Pentecost, there's thousands of them. And then in a generation, it spreads throughout the entire Roman Empire. And then add another couple hundred years, and it's the official religion of the greatest empire in the world. Now we see that it has spread. There's no religion in the world that has spread with a diversity that Christianity has. That has spread into more people groups than Christianity has. There's nothing like it in the world. It's almost impossible to account for what could possibly be happening here if it isn't the finger of God. It's the experience of the apostles, it's what our church history attests to that this very small thing will grow and become the kingdom, this expectation of growth. Citing, moving back to this uh, metaphor of the mustard seed, why Jesus likely chooses the mustard seed. Uh, Pliny the Elder is a Roman, first century Roman naturalist, uh, and he writes with regard to mustard. He says, Mustard, with its pungent taste, stings the nostrils, and fiery effect, is extremely beneficial for the health. It grows entirely wild though it is improved by being transplanted. But on the other hand, when it has once been sown, it is scarcely possible to get the place free of it, as the seed, when it falls, germinates at once. What a perfect plant to use as a metaphor for the gospel's spread. What a perfect plant to use, one that once it's there, you can hardly get the place rid of it. When the seed falls, it germinates at once. When you hear and understand the grace of God in truth, it spreads among you, as it is doing throughout the whole world. The fastest growing church in the world last year was the church in Iran. I mean, we see these incredible moves of the gospel. And yet, because we're so often operating from this framework, not that Jesus is bringing his kingdom into the world through this growth, but rather that the kingdom is somewhere way out there, and because of that, uh, we shouldn't anticipate any growth presently. We shouldn't anticipate any influence of the gospel on our culture, and in the lives of our loved ones presently. Instead, we should just gather together and try and hold it closely and try and hold this pure thing so that we can try and survive it until the end of the world. That's not the way God called us to live with the gospel. That's not the way Jesus said the kingdom of heaven would take place. But he said that it would grow. So, lastly... With this anticipation of the kingdom's growth, I want to look closely at the parable of the leaven. Matthew 13, 33 says he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So why is it that Jesus provides another parable that looks so shockingly similar to the parable that we've just seen? Why another simple parable of growth? What we see the parable of the leaven accomplish, that in a way the parable of the mustard seed doesn't, is we see this internal transformation in the lump of dough, such that the entirety of the dough is completely transformed. The leaven has moved through all of the dough. And that's the way we expect the transformation of ourselves. We expect the gospel to move through every aspect of our lives so that this this religious message, this, this message of the gospel is not quartered off into the merely religious portions of our lives, but instead it moves into and colors the way that we see everything so that our marriages all of a sudden become these mirrors of the gospel for us, so that in our marriages we're fighting for them, so that they might be demonstrations of grace in the world, so that our careers might now not be just totally separate from our faith, but they might be a sharing of the restoration that Christ is bringing into the world so that we might share in that process, so that in our careers we might be witnessing his kingdom coming. So that in our art, it might act as a light shining in our culture, so that it shines and it exposes heartbreak and hardship that we otherwise would have been able to completely ignore. And then it demonstrates a hope that currently, if we're just moving through our normal lives, we wouldn't be able to grasp without it. You see, when we don't have this this simply religious part of our lives that we place the gospel into, but when it moves through all of us and leavens the whole lump of dough, then it must move into every aspect of our lives. And then there's no aspect of culture that can't be touched by it because we're the ones that make the culture. So when we have artists who think in order to make Christian art, they have to, there's a lot to say about Christian art. (laughs) But they have to like hide a Bible verse in it somewhere. Rather than saying, how has God equipped me to make this art where it moves through the whole lump, all the creativity he's given me, all the inspiration that he's given me so that I can show this aspect of the world that only I can see because of the way that he's made me. When the leaven moves through the whole lump of dough like that and it transforms the entire person so that out of this new life of the gospel, they're able to produce into the world, all of a sudden the gospel is spreading because someone else walks up and they said, I've never seen a heartbreak like that and I've definitely never seen a hope in the midst of of a heartbreak like that. And all of a sudden, the gospel moves through and captures the hearts of the world. That only happens when we anticipate the growth of the kingdom. When we read these parables as simply as we can. And we expect that in this middle stage in between the initial sowing of the seed of the kingdom and not yet at the final glory of what we want to see. When we're in this middle stage, we expect an organic growth. So that doesn't mean that we are the ones that advance the kingdom. It doesn't mean that we are the ones that make the kingdom happen. That glory belongs to Christ, and that glory belongs to the Holy Spirit bringing his gifts into the world. Yet, if we consider as a church, how would we move if we expected Christ's kingdom to be ordered in such a way that he's bringing growth? How would we move as a church if we anticipated that Jesus was going to grow his kingdom? If we trusted in that type of a promise? How would that change things? How would that change things in your life? Have you considered, if you stepped back and you thought, you know, what if Jesus, what if Jesus was just speaking? clearly here? What if we just took him at face value? How would I move if I had faith that he planned to grow his kingdom? Well, that's what we're considering as a church this morning. I want to share this quote, uh, which is one of my favorites, and I almost skipped over it (laughs) because I got kind of into that last part. It's from Abraham Kuyper, and he uh, finishes a, um, a speech that he was giving at, this, at this, the founding of a university that uh, he had founded. And this is in the late 1800s, and he decides to start this university because he's been captured by this idea That the gospel has been quarantined to just this religious part of our lives. And it needs to be opened up so that it's affecting all of us. So he starts this university and he says this He says, No single piece of our mental world is to be hermetically sealed off from the rest. And there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. The whole lump of dough will be leavened. And we'll see it in a process that is progressive and organic and takes place through the ordinary means of our lives. If we trust that, then we will move in faith towards those ends. So that leads us to a big announcement (laughs) that we're making today uh, for the future of our church. As we imagine, what will it mean for our church to take at face value this idea that Jesus is promising a growth? What does that mean for us? If we were to move, take steps to move in faith towards that end. If that were the case, then we should expect the Spirit's constant prodding towards new things. Spirit's constant prodding away from a comfortable, normal situation and moving into something new. New aspects of growth, new branching out. And the Spirit has been working in that way uh, in our church for, uh, I think the Spirit, in a sense, has always been working in that way. I've only been here for three years. And I started as a uh, part-time speaker working under Russ. I was doing Russ's scheduling. Poor Russ. I am terrible at scheduling. And uh, I was also uh, part-time selling cars. And yet, and we laid out this five-year transition plan at that point for me to transition into the lead pastor position, and that transition had built into it this idea that uh, we want to have five years so that we can assess the situation as we're moving. And in our assessment, there's this constant prodding of this seems to be working, and Russ has developments outside of the church that are really coming together. And so there's this natural prodding forward that we're in at this point. So we didn't hold ourselves slaves to this uh, five-year plan that we had laid out, but we recognized it as merely a plan that was just of our own making. And so we continued to seek, what is the future of our church going to look like? January 1st I moved into the lead pastor position here. And all of you at least are still coming. <laughs> I can prove it by I can see you from here. <laughs> There's been this constant prodding forward into spaces in which into spaces in which our dependence on God is required where we're having to move in faith into areas that we've never been before because we're trusting that he promised a growth. He promised the limbs of our branches. That's why I dress like a tree today. The limbs of our branches. <laughs> no, That's not really why. Just admire the trees. Might be stretching out into the world. And so... Part of that imagining was not just an accelerating of our church here, but how can we be accelerating out into the community? How can we be having a greater impact on the city at large, more service, more of a benefit? to the world around us, seeing more of the kingdom move into the broken areas of our city. And so we developed this idea uh, several months ago that we shared with the congregation, which was the idea of an incubator that we would develop in order to uh, start up nonprofits out of. And as that idea started rolling, uh, we... Uh, and Russ started moving into new areas of counseling and coaching, we we saw a a great opportunity to serve particularly in the prisons, a place that has a, a close tie to the history of our church, serving in prisons. And As that idea started to develop, then simultaneously these ideas and this prodding kept happening of what does this mean for our next phase as a church? You see, this transition that we're moving through is one of the most challenging transitions that a church can go through, which is the moving on of a founding pastor. Many churches don't make it through that. And yet I think we have and we are And so we have a couple of options in the way that we consider this transition moving forward. We could consider it as something merely to be sustained, merely to be survived. Or we could anticipate a growth. And so we've chosen the latter. We have two opportunities right now. This one that has developed with this uh, incubator concept, which is blossomed into this incredible opportunity to serve those of us that are often the most neglected and this opportunity for us as a church. And so with these two ideas together, we've decided that we have a chance here to restart our church in a new way, to reimagine from the ground up what it means for us to do ministry in our city, which means everything from changing our name to L3. (laughs) (laughs) I I went back and forth. I'm glad I went with it. (laughs) (laughs) Opportunities to change our name, change our identity, change our location change our liturgies. We need to throw everything up in the air because this type of a moment is rare and it feels obvious in the way that we're being led to it as a church. I think that we have an energy right now and a cohesion right now that uh, honestly has been so thrilling and exciting to be a part of. To look out, I see so many faces that I know and that I love and that I can't wait to do ministry with in our city for years to come. But right now, the best way that we can capture that energy and that we can anticipate the growth that Jesus promised he would bring is to take incredible risks together. And so that's what we've decided to do. So, moving towards these two great opportunities that we have before us, like like a tree that grows up, and in order to continue growing, must branch out. We have decided to put the building on the market, and anticipate using the funds from the sale of our building to launch this new coaching and counseling ministry for the prisons, as well as launch the next phase of our church. Launch... A new church. We don't have a name yet. So I've just been calling it new church. But that's something we can develop together. So first of all, I'd like to invite up Russ, who's going to explain just sort of the breadth and extent of what we anticipate happening with the side that Russ is most engaged with, which is the coaching and counseling for the prison. So uh, you guys know Russ. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm going to
1: be Since December, uh, I was contacted by three different organizations that have developed platforms on the smartphone to, to do coaching post release. And so, what that means is that we suddenly have access to something that we've actually. 2003, 15 years. And what we found working with the Department of Corrections in Colorado, uh, Jefferson County Jail, Denver County Jail, was all the post release care was lockdown tight to. on that? Well, in December, we started working with a company in California called R Tribe. They've got about a quarter of a million users on the platform right now. They're, they're being scaled by Google to 20 million. And they've opened up pilots in Arkansas, and we were working with a local company here called TrackPoint. And they're kind of military Intel spooky people. <laughs> um, they developed will actually replace all that, and so they started negotiating with our tribe to have the coaching platform put on top of the track type platform, and both companies asked us to do all their training. So at this point, we literally have to train hundreds of coaches. Now, several of them graciously reached out to kind of find out how I'm doing with all these changes. and. Try to do the best I can to convince you that uh, I'm really excited. I really am. Um, I, I tend to think, I, I appreciate your concern for me, but I tend to think those of you that might be experiencing some emotional friction in this, it's simply because you don't can't see the scale of this. Because you know, if 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 I thought God was calling me and Tracy to finish out our lives. And well, you would celebrate that. You would tell us goodbye, and there would be no expectation for me to be embedded in this. It couldn't. It wouldn't be possible. But this has that magnitude. The last four months, I've tried to keep preaching, and the preach weeks are worse than sharp for me. It's just share some And this gives us an opportunity to make you the difference makers again. What God has opened in front of us is—it's it's something I've never, never seen in my lifetime, and it's right in front of us. bring something into the world that it tried to. There's been a lot that we've tried to do that hasn't worked, but this is working. And the favorite that God has in this is true. So I hope that helps.
0: Yeah, I think so. <laughs> this
1: is a celebration. It's not, it's not an invitation for anything else. It's really the birth of something super special on both sides. A brand new church that can make a huge difference in the city and an organization that's able to help Literally tens of thousands of people with the
0: gospel. So when we are considering these opportunities that have been put before us in this way, it seemed apparent. And so what our hope is, is that this understanding where we see these aspects of our world that are full of brokenness like the prison system us Christians. We want to be the ones that are moving into those. We want our church to be ascending church into the mission field of our prison system, of whatever career you're in. We want our church, we want us to understand mission in that way, that we are moving into the gospel, into all of these areas of culture, truly every square inch. And so this, uh, sort of act that we're making now, uh, we want this model to be built into who we are. This starting point to be a true expression of what our heart is, an expression of faith that God is growing this, his kingdom throughout the whole lump of dough. And so what does that mean for our immediate future? What does that mean for us as a church? Well, few logistical things. The building is currently on the market Um, and I think on eBay and a couple other places. So buy it now. And we have a, so if any of you are interested, um, uh, because throughout this process we've realized, you know, the resources that we need to do these things, what if we already have them? What if we walk in and out of it every day? And our ability to lay that thing down, what if that's what sets our course so that we move into the city in a, Holy new way. And so, immediately, what will the changes look like for us as a church? Well, over the next several months, they probably won't look too dramatic. We'll continue to show up. We'll continue to have church. We need your continued volunteering. We need your continued giving. We need your continued support because where we go from here, we need to be together in. We're going to be trying a lot of new things and we're going to be building a lot of new things and that's something that we're going to need to be doing together. Because I certainly don't have all the ideas. We're going to need the whole body to make this work. The impact that I think we're being called to for our city, the growth that we're anticipating is going to require the gifts and the input from all of us. So right now, uh, I'd like to invite up all the deacons uh, as well as uh, the staff and elders that are uh, joining us as, as part of this endeavor uh, that are making their way to the front. And uh, basically, just want to demonstrate that this is something that we've really come to together as the leadership of our church. And right now, none of, none of the uh, deacons have quit. And uh, neither have any of the uh, uh, staff. And so uh, we're moving into a real next phase that's going to take a lot of people, that's going to require a depth of unity. Some things I've been praying is that we would be in like Ezekiel 37 when he's in front of the valley of dry bones and that we would hear the rattling start to happen in a new way when the Spirit moves in and brings together a life that we never would have anticipated because it's so amazing. That's what we're looking forward to. That's the type of growth we're working for. And so we have a new elder uh, board which is moving through for a new church, which uh, is the, it's the three of us. My name is James Rathman. Uh, this is Jarrett Henson, uh, who has been a part of our church for, I think, ever and uh, when I first started working here was my boss. I think he's had every job I here. think he's had every job here. Yeah. yeah. Um, Except for pastor. Yeah, which is probably next. No, no. And uh, um, uh, Ryan Kunish, who was on the Elder Board of L2 with us as well, is going to be moving on to the Elder Board of New Church as well. We really consider ourselves the founding board so that we are going to be putting in place processes so that the elder board can grow from our new church together. So this is a time where what I want to ask is for you to, first of all, stay with us. To quote Ira Glass, stay with us. We want you to, be, to stick it out through what's going to be a time full of challenge and change and newness, and that's never easy. But the Spirit is always doing something new. And that's something that we need to trust in. We need to bound together in a faith that a growth will really come. If we just read Jesus' teaching at face value. And so with that, uh, I ask that you would... Uh, Stand with us, Uh, that we might pray together as a church for where we're going from here, for this division of labor that by parting with this one thing that has been really central for us and has been a great space for us that we're having to part with to move into what will be our next season. I ask that you'd prayerfully consider how you can be engaged as we anticipate this type of growth. So, would you pray with me? Holy Father, your Spirit shows us the Scriptures. It is your Spirit that makes your Scripture bear fruit in the world. Your Word never returns to you void, but it always accomplishes exactly what you sent it out to do. Father, I pray that by a new depth of understanding of your word, that by an understanding of the grace of God in truth, that the gospel in our hearts here today might bear fruit and multiply, and that we would move forward into an uncertain future with a certain hope that you bring the growth. Lord, I ask that uh, this would be an act of worship towards you. Churches throughout the world are trusting you with so much more, are trusting you amidst so much uh, more challenge than just like finding a a new space. Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts that seek your kingdom, trusting that in seeking your kingdom, you provide all of our needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That where you are taking us, we anticipate a growth of your kingdom. Father, I pray that you would work these things by your spirit, from your word, deep into our hearts. Lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You may be seated. So we're going to take communion now. Thanks, everyone, uh, for the show of support. Uh, Only five of them stayed seated, so... I'm just kidding. That was all of them. That was all of the DKs. So uh, there's probably a lot of questions and probably a lot of just thoughts and ideas, which we want and we want to hear. So what we're doing is we're transforming our backstages, which is the third Wednesday of each month, into uh, basically like new church formation and brainstorm. So if you want to be a part of this in a more direct way, we want you to. And so there will be space to do that. My email is james at l2today.com. It really works. Um, and uh, we we want, th- throughout this whole process, I mean we're coming to you before, we have a name. So we want, through this whole process, it to really come from us coming together to envision where we're headed as a church. Um, uh, so that's the backstage thing. And uh, lastly... I'd just ask that you'd really be praying. Pray that we would see the fruit from this. Pray that we would see a, an impact on the lives of people that never otherwise would have come in contact with the gospel. Be it because they met a counselor who was truly changed in a biblical worldview right after they were released from jail. And in the most unlikely of circumstances, they're equipped to bear fruit in the world, or be it through the people that I hope we touch as our church moves into the city in a new way. Pray for those things. Um, So let's start and continue our worship with communion now together uh, as we make a move as a body to remember Jesus' poured out blood, his body that was broken for us. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not with him freely give us all things? We have this incredible hope. Now is our chance to act like it. So let's take communion. I'll pray for us for the transition. Father, I pray that as we take communion, you would stir our hearts towards worship in you, And that we would remember that the seed that was sown was uh, your body, which fell and died for us. And that from that, such incredible fruit has been born. Lord, let us remember that and move forward with an insatiable hope in your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. You can find more audio, as well as study questions and sermon notes at l2church.com. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us a message through the contact form on our website. Thanks for listening.